now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. Voice. That voice sounded f- the intro voice. Who? I thought he was gone. Like he permanently is, gone. What? I can't remember his name. Huh? Do you remember his name even? Bang the drum. <laughs> Speedy Gonzalez. I was right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Bonza Tufa. Bonza Tufa. Who forever will live in infamy that, on this show. That's right. He will. How are he you? Will. I'm doing good, Craig Heist. Stan the fan along with Craig Heist and our friend Brittany Everett. And we are here on this Saturday morning, the 3rd of February. I know this is your show, but I want to make a an executive decision if I can. Yes. Going forward. Yes. I think we have Brittany do the new open. Because we need to replace that open. Really? Yeah. See, I th- I felt it's funny, and I, I, this is a democracy. So if you two, you uh, well, you were right. I mean, even if Bonds is not here, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> that that open was always funny. <laughs> um, if you two decide that we need a new open with with Britney's voice on it, right. I'm I'm game with that. But I thought it was like an homage. You know, sort of a nod to Bonza, how important he was to this show. Yeah, and wink, describe wink, wink. describe how important he was to the show. So much so, we want to have Brittany <laughs> on the open. <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. It is the first Saturday in February, two thousand eighteen. Stan the fan, along with Craig Heist, we're going to entertain you and inform you for the next couple hours about the great game of baseball. And here's our guest list today. I started to say Massens. It's Press Boxes and Press Box Online's Rich Dubroff joins us at 1020. Mike Shallon, who last week, Craig, you weren't in, and I had to, you know, I'm, when I, I've got a, my own coterie of guests, so I go to Jim Henneman. He says, I can't do it. I got to be, in, and he ended up doing it because he came back after one day. But he says, I'm, I don't know if I can do it because I'm up at the official scorers meetings in New York. So I go, ah, let me call Mike Shallon. Mike Shallon, I'm in because he does the, does same, the thing. same thing for the Red Sox. So I'm yeah. whiffed on the two of them. So Shallon said, whenever I get one of these guys engaged, I say, can you do next week? So mm-hmm. I start to fill out next week. So Mike Shallon and the New Hampshire Union leader will be with us. Good, we'll find there's, out. there's a lot of things I want to talk to him about, in particular this nonsense of pace of game and some of the rules that are going about, <laughs> about to be implemented or – May be implemented as the season well, goes on. you know, it's looking more like the commissioner is not as anxious to get into a fight with the players right now. It looks like they're negotiating longer than he actually needs to because he may want to come to some consensus. I got to tell you, the more I think about this, there are so many other ways to experiment with speeding up games, including things like Buck has been mentioning for three, four years now, putting mics in the, you know, so you, you don't have the, the catcher going to the mound. He right. could just talk off to the side like that, you know, and the batter couldn't hear him, you know, and neither, talk to the pitcher. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, things like that, cutting down the uh, catchers and the, um, the pitching coaches coming out, I just, I'm telling you, as a fan, as much as I'd like to see the pace of game picked up, and again, of course, my number one reason that the game is so slow 
is the fact that the home plate umpires are so inconsistent that the pitchers don't know from from one start to the next what's a strike and what's a ball. So having said that, I don't know that as a fan, I want to look up at every pitch and see that clock ticking. You know, it, it just it's something there's something the more I think about it, well, I've kind of unnerving about I've, it. I've kind of gotten used to it in between innings, right. you know, because they do run like a two and a half minute clock in between innings. Uh, but I, this guy, this commissioner is becoming the Roger Goodell of Major League Baseball. Mm. Leave the game alone. And I'm not so much concerned about time of the game. You know, in terms, the, in terms of pay, minutes, the overall you know, hours and minutes, yeah, exactly. it's, it's the, the pace. pace. Yeah. That part of it I get. Uh, but this this idea of, you know, 305 down to 255 and then we won't implement a clock this year. I mean, yeah. it, it, no. Well, and then it, it, it's like, and if it, if it goes from 305 down to 250 or below, we won't implement a for clock two in two, for two years. Right, exactly. Um, I, first of all. There's no way they're cutting out 15 minutes a game as long as the commercial breaks or as long well, as they are. And that's the bottom line yeah. to this. Yeah. You know, it's all about the money and it's all about how much local local teams and their revenues make off their TV deals. And then, you know. Re- remember also, we're talking, about, we're talking about that 305 figure as being the average. Mm-hmm. I don't think people go to a game and say, man, that was so boring. It was 305. It's the games that go three thirty eight, three forty eight. You know, four something hours, like four yeah. hours. Those are the games that they have to find something to do about. Anyway, we'll talk with Mike Shallon about that. We'll also find out what the stumbling block is with JD Martinez and the Boston Red Sox. Um, might that come to a head? And might JD Martinez suddenly look for uh, what they call a pillow deal? Maybe like going back to Arizona for a year. Well, that's certainly a possibility, and I mean, there's been talk about that. Yep. So we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. Uh, but it's amazing, Brody Van Wagenen yesterday, uh, the agent, the yeah. a- the agent says that uh, you know he's really looking into you know whether or not the owners are not colluding, but right. uh, but, but doing uh, their best to impede the signing of free agents right now. Uh, we'll also have one, we had him on about three or four months ago, Ed Wheatley, the author of St. Louis Browns, The Story of a Beloved Team. Uh, he co-authored this book, book with Bill Bortz and Bill Rogers, but Ed Wheatley's the one I know. They're part of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, and the foreword of that book, Craig, is by Bob Costas. How about that? Uh, who's going into the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, we should get him on sometime to talk about the Hall of Fame. Do you, do you know in. Bob? Or? I, I know Bob a little bit. I mean, Bob will know me, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how to get a hold of him, but we'll we'll figure that out. Um, also joining us, uh, Craig's uh, uh, guest this week is Mike Bordick of Mass and Sports. And you did not know when you reached out to him, I was emceeing a portion of Babe's birthday bash last night down at the Hilton mm-hmm. Hotel. It was a nice. It was in the Diamond Tavern. It was a really nice time. Um, Mike was announced at the beginning that he wasn't going to be able to attend because he was in Maine. His father passed away this week. And then I turn around, the Oriole Forum starts about 8 o'clock, and there's Mike Bordick. There's Bordy. There's Bordy there. So he's going to join us, and we'll talk to him a little bit about this Tim Beckham move to third base with Manny taking over at short. 
Uh, he had some interesting comments about that last night. Also, I want to talk to him about, you know, he's a guy, he's been part of the furniture in Baltimore now for the better part of about 14, 15 years, yeah. I guess. Uh, 97. Yeah. yeah. Uh wonder if Buckshell Walter is not going to manage the Baltimore Orioles. I just wonder if he's a guy that would have any interest in it. He played well, under Tony La Russa. He played, played right. under Davey Johnson. He played under a couple good managers. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, when you think about what he does from a coaching standpoint with this team, kind of very much behind the scenes. Right. Uh, that would be something interesting to find out what his take is on that and whether he'd be interested in that. Well, because I, I kind of equate him a little bit to if the Orioles suddenly plucked him out of nowhere next year as almost like the Yankees going with Aaron Boone. You know, Boone a little bit more recent out of the game, but somebody who hasn't spent time down in the minor leagues managing. Uh, you know, a lot of these players, they've made a good enough living now that going bat and beating the bushes is just not, you know, it's not in the cards for them. That doesn't mean that they couldn't be good major league managers. Yeah, and uh, certainly uh, when when you talk about somebody that knows the game and 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 was really one of the guys when he was playing. Uh, when you think about him at shortstop, uh, you know, when when Cal moved to third and he was yep. short, the, the way those two interacted and kind of meshed a little bit there. Uh, he's, he's got a great feel for the game, and from a tactician standpoint, I'm sure he'd be very good. Uh, your thoughts initially on the announcement last week at FanFest by Buck Showalter that Manny Machado is indeed going to be the shortstop. How do you feel about this? Frank? Well, my, my general thought on it originally was I'm not that concerned about it because I think Manny's going to be great wherever he plays. Right. Uh, the other thing you worry about, though, playing shortstop, as we found out with Cal Ripken playing shortstop, you're involved in so many double plays, so many things around the bag. Uh, but a lot, a lot of, of those uh, things around the bag have been sort of cleaned up cleaned and made up, less right. dangerous. But, but, yeah. but still, you know, they do exist. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Manny can do. Uh, chasing down balls in the hole and with that arm of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's become such a great third baseman. You, you, you really worry about upsetting the apple cart and the chemistry with that. Uh, Tim Beckham, who knows how he's going to play at third base. Uh, you're talking about a guy who had nine errors last year in the short period of time he was in Baltimore uh, when he came here. Uh, but But again... It's such a reactionary position, like no other position in the infield. There's nothing like it. There's yeah. nothing like it, and it's 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 reflexes. I mean, you, you think about Brooks Robinson. He was a second baseman when he came up, and not a lot of people thought very highly of Brooks at second. But when he moved to third, we saw what the reflexes and the hands were like, and things of that nature. And you know, the rest is history. You know, is Beckham going to be able to handle that aspect of it? Well, it's interesting. I'm totally against this move. I think mm-hmm. you're taking a gold glove third baseman. and I, but, but it was interesting last night. I am not beyond, when I have an opinion, I am not beyond being taught to think differently on something. Um, Mike Bordick pointed out that last year when he played shortstop for the Dominican, uh, Manny Machado, that he had never seen him as focused as he was at shortstop. Ed Encina, as part of the Oriole Forum last night, um, made mention that Manny at times can look a little bored at third base because it's so easy that maybe it'll re-kick in a 
a little bit different gear and, to his defense. And, and that's an excellent point because when you think about a contract year, which is yep. he's in, he's going to want to be as focused as he can be. And if he if he combines the defense with the offense that we know he's capable of. So, so here's the bottom line at the end of the day, and I don't doubt that Buck Showalter is doing this because in his mind he thinks it makes the Orioles a better team. I think so. But do you think it makes them a better team? I think it can make them a better team. But, again, I don't care whether Manny plays shortstop or third base. It's all going to depend on what kind of pitching they have as to whether or not they're a better team or not. Now, having said that, I'm not all that convinced that – uh, Tim Beckham is a uh, uh, Buck Showalter is a Tim Beckham fan. Yeah. Okay. So from that standpoint, I think he's 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 a, is he appeasing Manny with this? Yes. Uh, is it going to be a situation where it's going to be detrimental to the club? I don't think so. See, here's my biggest problem with it. If I look ahead at the team, and again, there is a short term to making the Orioles better, mm-hmm. and there is a long term. If I'm looking at this. I am much more interested in the fact that I gave up a, a pretty good young pitcher in Tobias Myers, yeah. okay, to Tampa for Tim Beckham. I'm much more interested in him becoming a fixture, trying to to explore whether he could become a fixture at shortstop and a signable one for the next four or five years. Right. Uh, I think moving him to third sets that back and makes me question the wisdom of the trade altogether. Uh, it was interesting. Mike Bordick didn't seem to be as bothered by the nine errors in 47 games last year by Tim Beckham as the infield, the, the clock inside his head where some routine plays, the way he's fielding them, runners were beating them out or mm-hmm. making them this close that he needs that internal clock to, to be more aware of charging a ball, getting in line, you know, in place the ball, maybe throwing the ball a little harder. But I did not see, again, I don't go purely by the numbers. I didn't see anything that said to me that Tim Beckham can't be the shortstop long-term here. And I'd be much more interested in finding that out the first 50 games of this year than worrying about, you know, uh, sort of appeasing Manny Machado or getting him happy this year. I think that's up to him to generate that enthusiasm and focus uh, as he plays his last year in Baltimore. Well, you know, that's that's true, and uh, there is something to be said for that. But again, I, I don't think it's going to be detrimental to the club, and I understand what you're saying about the first 50 or 60 games. You'd like to get that read. But again, and, and a lot of this is going to fall on Tim Beckham. Yeah. You know, because there are some rumblings about attitude and things of that nature. Uh, this is going to be up to Tim Beckham to 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 take this opportunity and and make the best of it and become the best third baseman he can be. Now, whether or not he does that or not is, remains to be seen. All right. We're going to talk to Rich Dubroff in about four or five minutes about how the Orioles can really improve this team. And it's certainly the improvement, Craig, as you well pointed out, is not going to come on whether Manny Machado can play shortstop or Tim Beckham can play third. It's going to be whether they can get some people to pitch the games. Right, exactly. Maybe and the Orioles are looking at speeding up all games. They're not going to have pitchers. Well, that could be. <laughs> Maybe you, see, you, you could see it like in one of those Bugs Bunny cartoons right. where, 
you know, uh, Beckham could pitch too and kind of be on the mound and all of a sudden run over run to third, third base. base. Right. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Uh, your thoughts yesterday, the Orioles broke their log jam. They still have not signed a major league free agent, but they signed uh, catcher Andrew Susick. Susick, yeah. Uh, uh, from the Brewer, formerly of the Giants and the Brewers. Right. Um, looks like a little insurance in case Chance Cisco or Austin Wins is not ready. I, I really don't like this move at all. I got to be honest with you. If they if they don't know by now whether Wins or Cisco well, could be in, in my mind, Cisco in particular. Yes, yeah. agreed in particular. But if they don't feel that those two guys are at least as good as this guy, I mean, this guy's just you know. Not a good major league hitter at all. I'm totally in agreement with you. Yeah. Uh, but it again, it, it is insurance. It, it presents competition, right? And uh, competition's never a bad thing. Uh, but again, you, you're heading into it now with Caleb Joseph as your starter. Uh, I'm, I'm I mean, wouldn't little, you? I'm a little bit concerned when 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 it comes to Joseph in terms of you know the amount of games he's going to catch. Yeah, I'm thinking. Joseph 80, Cisco 80. That's how I'm kind of looking at it. I'd love to see Cisco at least 80 times back behind that plate. And if he's playing well and hitting well, maybe him 100 and Caleb 60. Yeah, it's, it's ironic we're, we're talking about this because we we just had uh, down the road in Washington, we had a little bit of an off-the-record luncheon type thing with uh, Mike Rizzo. This Which week. you're going to, of course, go on the record. No, with. no, 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 no. But I mean, this, but this has been the thinking all along. So it's, right. I'm not telling you anything. Right. I'm not supposed to tell you. Uh, you, you know, just the whole idea of where <laughs> they go catcher wise. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and 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 how much Matt Weeters is going to play because Matt Weeters is going to be your starting catcher, even even though for for the for the problems that he had in the second part of the year last right. season, uh, he's going to be your catcher and. From from the standpoint of you know his production, Mike Rizzo is looking, and so are the Nationals for a bounce back year from Matt. Right. From the standpoint of being healthy all year long, I mean that's what they're counting on. And Matt had the back problems and things of that nature. Uh, but but again, they're expecting probably 110 games, and if yeah. that if that happens, then you know we'll see what happens. Well, they so got Pedro Severino to back him up, right? And then uh, we'll we'll see what happens. And they still have not been able to to get a deal done with the Miami Marlins. They're clearly for real in, Muto, for yeah, real Muto, and that's not going to happen either. I don't think because right. you know the, the the first person they're looking at is is Robles, and right. that's kind of a non deal maker, non starter, non starter for Mike Rizzo. All right, a starter for us on this program is Rich Dubroff of Pressbox, PressboxOnline dot com. And Rich, how are you? I'm great, Stan. How are you doing? I'm, I was doing fine until my Stan's, ears just got Stan's blown. Stan's lost his hearing. <laughs> I just got blown away, but I'm fine. How are you, Rich? Good? I'm great. I'm great. All right. Uh, now let's... I can hardly hear you guys. All right. So now, can you hear us now? Yeah, faintly. All right. Well, we'll try and hmm. we'll try and real muto that. Yeah, we'll there you go. And, exactly. Um, you're Craig, th- I can I can hear Craig very well. All right, so get it closer to the mic is what we're saying. Well, I thought I was pretty close to the mic. There you go. Now right. I think we're good. All right, that sounds good to me. Uh, last week, uh, we'll we'll kind of redo what we just talked about. Your thoughts on the uh, Manny Machado announcement that he's going to play shortstop? Well. Uh, now that I've had a little time to think about it, 
I mean, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's going to be a huge deal for the Orioles because I know that they're a little worried about Tim Beckham's play at shortstop. Beckham, uh, you know, Beckham committed nine errors in 49 games for the Orioles. And if you're moving him to third base, uh, you know, I, I think that that should, uh, you know, even though he hasn't played third a lot, unless he uh, unless he has huge problems there, you know, perhaps the infield defense will, will get a little better because, you know, Machado will see more action at shortstop. So I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, it, it's as bad a move. At first I thought it was a bad move, and mm-hmm. then I thought, well, you know, I, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's an awful but, move. I think you know at least they start the season with some certainty there. Yeah, that, that's true. I I just have to say the reason I don't like the move is, and I know that they are they're an, it's anathema to them to admit that they're not going to compete. But the reason I don't like it, I'm looking long term at the betterment of the club. I've got a player that's going to play for us for one year versus a player who possibly could be an Oriole for four, five, six years. Uh, and I'd want to really explore finding out, you know, we keep hearing how great Bobby Dickerson is at coaching infielders. Well, I think the problems that Beckham has, some of them are coachable problems, you know, that uh, and Mike Bordick, who is going to join us later on the show, he was down at Babe's birthday bash last night. He didn't have as big a problem with the nine errors as he did – Tim Beckham's internal clock where where on certain ground balls people were either making them bang bang plays or beating out routine ground balls and those are things that seem eminently coachable to me. Yeah, well it's interesting because I think that uh I think that uh Beckham, you know, will end up playing shortstop. You know, what if they trade, you know, they start yeah. the season and you know they don't do well and they trade them they trade Machado July thirty first. They'll they'll probably put Beckham back at shortstop. Probably, so, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think it's you know I think right now they have bigger fish to fry. I mean, this is a big Machado is a a big fish to fry, but I think but he's already have, he's already fried. Uh, <laughs> you know, a, a bigger a, a a much bigger issue. Yeah. Well, when you when you think about the move just on the surface and and I was telling Stan and he mentioned whether or not it's a coachable thing you know my my initial thought to that was well you want to you want a guy that wants to be coached right and there have been some you know talk about some attitude issues with him in the past back I'm talking, talking about right, right. Uh, so I I told Stan I said I think it's behooves Beckham to move over there now and just concentrate on becoming the best third baseman he can be because it's certainly a different position. It's so reactionary. Does that, that was, does that, that does that cut down on the errors, maybe or not? That was Bordick's take last night, and we're going to have him on the show later on at the end of the show. His thing was that maybe third base that clock won't be an issue because he'll have more time. The balls are going to be hit harder to him. He'll have more time to throw runners out. So yeah, uh, I mean, it's just that he hasn't played there. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. played five games. You know, he's played five games there, uh, and you get less action at third base than you do at shortstop. No question so, about it. Uh, you know, I, I think that I, I think that it probably. My guess is that it'll probably end up being a non-issue. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I, I said to Stan, I said regardless of what happens and what you think of it, 
it, it's it it really is kind of a moot point unless they get some kind of pitching. Uh, you, you know, because Stan was talking about making the club better. You know, is Manny better at shortstop or third base as far as making the club better? And I said, I don't really think it matters unless they get some kind of pitching. Now, you wrote for the website, PressBoxOnline.com, about how this rotation maybe could uh, shape up a little bit. And when you think about some of the guys that are still out there, whether it's Cashner, Cobb, Lance Lynn, these are all guys that are still still available. Uh, but, so, but And you know who else is still available? And we haven't heard a thing about him lately is Jason Vargas. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I but, mean, he's a, you know, he's a left, you know, he's a left-hander and, and the market itself is so bizarre and has become, you know, in the last several days, much more controversial and volatile, you know, much more volatile. The issue has become, you know, so much more volatile and it's going to be interesting to see in the next, you know, in the next uh, couple of weeks, how this thing shape, you know, shakes it, out because it, it's it's obviously mystified all of us throughout is, the winter. Is there any way you could see somebody like a Cobb kind of falling to them almost around the price that Ubaldo was at? You know, Cobb was at one sure, time thought to be sure. like I mean, an eighteen now, to twenty million dollars, especially know, with the, as long what, as this goes who on. Who knows yeah. what the market stands? Who knows what the market really is now because. We don't know because the top pitchers haven't, you know, haven't signed. Right. The so market hasn't when been set. When all these guys haven't signed, you know, who knows whether, you know, you Darvish is going to get six years at, you know, $130 million or something. My or, guess is you know, no. Jake Arrieta gets six years at $110 million because we haven't seen it. Because all year, all winter long, the – conventional wisdom was that those guys would set the marketplace and the other guys would fall, you know, would slot behind them. Well, that's still, ha- you know, that still hasn't happened. And what's going to happen is that it's all going to happen like football and basketball free agency, where it's all going to happen in a matter of days. Yeah. And it's right. going to happen at the end of the winter instead of the start of the winter, which isn't a good thing. We're talking to Rich Dubrow. It may, be, press... it may end up being a good thing for the Orioles. Who knows? It, we're talking to Rich Dubrow for PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com. That's, that's an excellent point. It could turn out to be a good thing for the Orioles. Uh, we're going to end up with Darvish, Arietta. No, Cobb, no, yeah. we're not going to wind up with that. But I'll tell you, the other thing is uh, about that, Rich, what you're talking about, Brody Van Wagen in the agent yesterday came out. He and went ballistic. He went ballistic, you know, telling about, you know, talking about the owners, whether they're not colluding, you know, he's using, he's kind of, you know, putting a pretty picture on that word, if you will, just saying something's wrong here where these guys are not being signed. And uh, he was, he was well, a little adamant know, about lot, it. You know, there, there's a lot, you know, there's some truth in that. Uh, but, you know, obviously, obviously agents don't get paid anything if their clients don't sign. Right. So they're taking money and the more money the clients sign for, the more Agents get paid, obviously. But this, as we've been talking about all winter long, this crop of free agents isn't that great. No. I mean, they're nice players, sure. I'd love, if you, Darvish, you know, or Jake Arrieta or Mike Moustakis was around and, and at a, a decent price, of course, you know, you take them on the Orioles. But, you know, they're not guys, I think, necessarily to build your club around. And, you know, next year, when you have guys like Machado and Harper and maybe Kershaw and Dallas Keuchel on the market, then those are guys that, you know, they'll be, I mean, more aggressive bidding on. 
But on the other hand, I think the owners have made a big error in waiting this long <laughs> on mass because you have teams like the Orioles who are trying to sell tickets and trying to create excitement around their team. And you got to FanFest last week, and they didn't have any new players, so to speak, to, to show off to their fans. Yeah, just think if it was <laughs> this week. And three of the marquee guys didn't show. Yeah, just think if it was this week, they could have had Andrew Suzik. That's right. You know, that would have been an exciting <laughs> Well, I don't know. Could, I don't know if he could have gotten there yesterday. Actually, four of the marquee guys. Yeah. Uh, Craig with uh, Davis, uh, Scope Machado, uh, Chris Davis. And Zach Britton. Yep. Of course, Davis had just had, you know, his wife just just had newborn twins, and, and Britton, Britton was still. Uh, uh, he did a video thing. But he did engage in Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and he did a video a with you guys, with right? He did a phone conversation with the media, correct? Right. But more importantly, he did a. He, he engaged with the fans on Twitter. Yeah. So I think that was uh, that was good. Mike, uh, Rich, let me jump into a couple people. Uh, one of them that wasn't present last week. I think we all know that the sort of the horse has gotten out of the barn with Manny Machado. But does it seem to you that the horse is getting out of the barn in the case of Jonathan Scope? Is there any sense that they plan to talk to him seriously about some type of extension during spring training? Yeah, well, I think they're probably talking about it now because, you know, uh, he's going to ar- he's going to arbitration on Thursday, right? And he's uh, and you know they'd be foolish not to try and talk to him, but it may already be it may already be too late. I really want to uh, see. And we I- may be getting you know we may be getting into situation. That's Where similar. It's, it's, you know, it's, a year from a year from now, we'll hear the same stuff about scope. Yeah. I, you know, arbitra- and that's and that's unfortunate. And that's unfortunate because I think again, this is something that could have been avoided. Arbitration is such a nasty process. A lot of times between the club and the and and the and the player. Uh, but I would really like to be the fly on the wall in that negotiation in in the arbitration hearing when the Orioles are trying to tell. Well, what what. What scope didn't do well last year? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's crazy. Listen, well, it's I love not what they didn't do well. It's it's com- it's it's they it's comparable. They yeah. compare him with other they right. compare him with other players. Right. I mean, the only one I think that would have been fascinating would have been last year when Caleb Joseph went to arbitration. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I love Steve Molesky. He's as knowledgeable as they come. Last night, I was in the audience of the Oriole Forum. Uh, and he was a member of the forum, and I said I asked the panel, and it included Scott McGregor, um, Ed Encina, Brittany, um, Steve, and I'm leaving somebody, Mike Bordick. And I said, are they doubling down on the same thing they did with Machado with Scope? And Molesky threw out a figure like, well, it's a lot of difference between, say, $60 million and $300 million. Mm-hmm. And I said – you really think there's $240 million worth of difference between Scope and Machado now? I mean, Sc- Scope drove in 100 runs. Machado's never driven in 100 runs. I think they're at the point, if he duplicates or comes close to the season, he's a $170, $180 million player. I would think so. Well, Wouldn't you, what, what do you think the, the dollar figure, the right dollar well, figure I don't know what the dollar be? figure is, but there is a significant difference in that with right now, if you if if you were giving contracts for them right now, Scope still has two years of, under club control. Right, right. Where whereas Machado only has one, 
and that makes uh, you know. Yeah, but the, and, and the, the basic aura, but, but the basic point I'm making is if he duplicates this year, they will have let a guy that they could have signed at about a hundred million or ninety million last year become a one seventy one eighty million guy that they then say, well, we can't afford him at one seventy or right. one eighty. Right. Well, that's why I mean. I think that they could have had maybe even in the past. They could have had uh, Machado three years ago. They could have had Machado three years ago. We know that now. They missed over a few million dollars. Um, Let me move on to another player that uh, Scott McGregor was really petitioning uh, strongly last night at the forum. He said Chris Tillman, was, which we know, he said he was never right last year. Shoulders are really tricky things. He said what most impressed him watching him, and, and Scott did not mince any words. He said he sucked last year. He was awful. But you never knew it on the mound. He never gave in facially, emotionally, to what was kind of a season that he was overcome with poor performances. He said that taught him a lot about Chris Tillman. He really thinks the club would be wise to bet on him as a as – a, uh, a comeback candidate, a bounce-back candidate? Well, I think the club will bet on him as a bounce-back candidate. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't have been work- – otherwise, I don't think they would have been letting him work out at their facility. Okay. Um, I, I would expect um, Tillman to, to, re-sign with him, you what, know, to re-sign with them. What might a contract for one year with him be? Would it be like two-and-a-half plus a two-and-a-half attainable uh, – Dan, you know, I'm not in the general manager business, so I, I think that it would probably not be, you know, what he was making. It would be significantly less yeah. than what he, you know, the $10 million that he was making last year. Uh-huh. But I, I think that, it, you know, the Orioles have lost, they've lost a lot of payroll yeah. over the last year, and they haven't replaced it. So I don't think, you know, with, um, you know, with Miley, and Jimenez, you know, and Jimenez, and Jeremy Hell, you know, and Jeremy Hellickson, and JJ Hardy, uh, you know, they've lost significant amount of payroll, and uh, the money that they're going to spend uh, right now, their payroll right now would be much less than it was last year. So I, I think quibbling over a couple million dollars is, uh, you know, is not a big deal. All right, I know you don't have the crystal ball, but if you if you look at opening day right now, and I know you, you can't do this exactly, what might the Orioles' starting rotation look like? The five people there. If it's today, uh, it's now, I'm Bundy, projecting. It's Bundy, I'm projecting on April, March 29th. Yeah, right now it's Bundy Gosman, and the fifth starter I would guess would be. Uh, Miguel Castro, I would guess Chris Tillman would be the third starter, and the fourth starter would be a free agent to be signed. Okay. All right. All right. You know, that's my, you know, that's my guess. I and know I, and I'd, say that's a, I'd say that's a pretty well-educated guess right there. I think it is, too. I, mean, I, I think that there's, you know, right now, I mean, there's Mike Wright, there's uh, Gabriel Enoa, uh, there's, uh, you know, Nestor Cortez, the Rule 5 pick. But I, I would think that, you know, I, I would think a, a fourth starter, you know, I, I would think Tillman, they'd sign Tillman and, you know, someone else and someone else. There are too many. I think there are too many other starters out there for them not to, you know, for them not to come come out with one or even two. Yeah. 
We know that they need starting pitching. There's no question about that. But they seem hell-bent also on improving the overall outfield play. Uh, Help, I, think, I think that's an interesting word, hell-bent, because yeah. it's interesting that they, if they're so hell-bent that they've waited long. Yeah, but. well, that's a, good, that's a good point. There's a little uh, contradiction in terms there. But they seem determined. Uh, let's put it eager to, to do that. Is Carlos Gomez... Uh, or no, Carlos. Which which one was the Colorado Rock? Carlos Gonzalez is cargo a po- a possibility? Sure, sure. You know, there, a couple of weeks ago there was talk about Jared Dyson. You know, I know uh, one of the guys that you've uh, often championed, John Jay, yeah. is still out there. Um, Gomez uh, Gonzalez. I think you know of all those guys, I think Dyson may make the most sense. Right. Because they need another left hand, and then and you know, it gives them, sure he gives them to have Gonzalez at a reasonable price. Yeah, but I think that he he provides for them what they already have in Davis and Trumbo, and I think you know a sort of diversification of skills. You know, uh, you know, a, a guy with some speed. Yeah, uh, that's what I like about be, Dyson. Uh, yeah, that would be you know like Dyson or or Jay would be uh, be, would be better. I think Dyson would be good. Because um, you know he would be he would cost less. But Jay, for you know, for a guy not being a top shelf uh, player, has uh, you know has had relatively high salaries mm-hmm. over the the course of uh, the course of his career. And also, at some point, you're going to want to probably get Austin Hayes in there. And if you have someone like John Jay, who's basically been you know an everyday player. Then that that might make that uh, that might make that difficult. I think having Dyson Dyson I think would be a, a better fit because he could uh, you know he, he's more of a fourth outfielder type, and I think that you know you don't want him playing let's say more than 100 or 110 games. I think that actually fits them rather than getting a regular guy like Jay who you, might clog it up for, for Hayes. You do see them uh, retaining Anthony Santander for the 44, 45 days necessary to be able to then option him as their property. I would think so because I think that they've gone this far. Yeah. Unless they, they see in spring training that he's totally, totally overmatched. Um, but one thing that is so interesting, Stan, is that the club in certain ways, believe it or not, is better than it was a year ago. And one of them is having young outfielders. Mm-hmm. You know, a year ago, we weren't talking about Austin Hayes. You know, DJ Stewart was not considered, was considered to be, you know, a disappointment or, or questionable as a prospect. And Cedric Mullins hadn't, you know, hadn't really shown much in the, you know, in the minor leagues. And now, you know, Hayes has, you know, played his way into the major leagues. You know, the odds are he'll probably start the year in the minors, but they went out and drafted two guys last year, uh, two outfielders, Sam, Anthony Santander and, um, and Tavares, uh, and Nuri Tavares and Tavares was then returned to the Red Sox because Mullins played so well in spring training. The Orioles thought they had a player like him. So, uh, their outfield situation is not as dire as it looked a year, you know, a year ago. 
And, you know, if the Orioles knew then what they know now, they might not have drafted Santander. Let me ask you this real quick, and that's uh, what was your take out of Adam Jones last week at FanFest when uh, they basically he basically said, you know, we were asking him about his future with the Orioles. He was basically asked Dan Duquette. I have no idea. <laughs> well, it's interesting because he, you know, I, I think he would very much like to stay with the Orioles, but. Um, and I think it's, I think it's basically 50, 50, yeah. you know, uh, whereas right now it, it, it's looking obviously very, very dire for, you know, um, uh, Manny Machado to return and increasingly, um, increasingly dire for Jonathan scope. I, I think with Jones, it's a lot, you know, with Jones, it's a lot different, but you know, he's going to be 33 years old in, in August. So the Orioles, I think would like to see how he plays this year. And mm-hmm. if he has another good year, then maybe they they sign him up for another two or three years. Yeah. And um, and, and you know, even though that they have good young outfielders, I, I think it's important to um to keep somebody who's you know he's got the fourth most hits in Orioles history. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, that's and he and he's play he's he's had this long term contract and this long term contract has worked out well. Yeah. It's rare that six-year contracts work out well. But, you know, the first five years were certainly really, really good for uh, for the Orioles with Jones. So, uh, you know, I, I would hope that he had a good year and that he, you know, uh, th- that there would be the, the interest to, to bring him back. One more quick question. Uh, the other guy they got on a seven-year contract, and he's got five more to go, and he hasn't lived up to the to the money, is Chris Davis. What kind of year do you expect Chris to have this year? Well, I would, I would sort of look toward you know the last two years, and uh, he's going to have to prove that he's going to have to prove that he has adapted as a hitter. Um, and you know, otherwise, I think Stan, I'm going to spend the rest of my career. Uh, talking about Chris Davis's contract. All right. Yeah. I think the biggest change, I, I hear all that stuff about the he hasn't adapted and all that. I think the only thing he hasn't adapted to is the expectations of making that much money. I don't buy that they're pitching him that much differently. I think well, I, I, I think see everything I is, see everything I the see feeling with is him. That the game has changed. Yeah, the feeling I, is I don't that, buy well, that the game bigger, has that changed. The game has changed and uh, that he hasn't adapted. I don't think the game has changed in 3 years all that much. I know the shifts are more more prevalent, but you know something, not swinging at called third strikes is not about the game changing. It's about mm-hmm. something in between your ears and the pressure that's come to him and it's all going to be decided about that. I love having you on. Is this our last week having you for a while? Are you down in Sarasota no, next week? No, no, I'll week? be. Uh, I, I, I'll. I think I'm back. Ne- I think I'm back next week. If, uh, you, if I'm you've asked. been renewed, you've been renewed. All right, Rich. That's, that's a good a thing because I won't be here. Yeah, I won't be here. So you and I will have a good time next week. All right, Rich oh, Dubroff. Well, we'll miss. We'll, we'll miss Craig. All right, Rich Dubroff of Pressbox. Pressbox Online. Thank you very much, buddy. All right. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you, Stan. Right, there you have it. Actually, I think I am here next week. You are? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, you are here. I that's am right. next year. Yeah, that's right. Well, what a disappointment that uh, was for Rich. Rich. How about next that? Next week yeah. when you're here. You know, one of the other things he was talking about was, uh, you know, with Adam Jones, uh, and, and we also talked to him about, you know, these pace of game, you yeah. know, the, 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 you know, trying to speed it up. And he goes, he says, I understand what they're trying to do. 
He said, but at the same time, you can't, can't speed up an artist. Yeah. <laughs> I like that comment. And that I like that comment. Quote. That was a good quote. I don't like well, this. And that, and that goes back to, in a roundabout way, it goes back to, please, leave the game alone. Please. Please. Pretty please. Right. All right. We're going to take a timeout. When we get back, a whole different set of topics for Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader. He's also an official scorer at a lot of Red Sox games from up there in Boston. We'll be right back after these words. Coming to the Owings Mills Metro Center soon, Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for Guys, where they offer hand and foot grooming, barbering, and straight razor shaves, all in a relaxed man cave nirvana. You get your own TV and remote, top-of-the-line noise-canceling headphones, and a complimentary beverage, all while you kick back in a seat that has been custom-crafted with your comfort being the number one priority. Trust me when I say this is a -a one-of-a-kind experience that will have you feeling like a modern-day king. That's Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for guys coming soon to the owings mills metro center find out more by going to hammer and nails grooming.com the Paracel early phase unit at harbor hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study length of participation and number of visits vary by study if you qualify you may receive compensation ranging from 1200 to 8500 dollars upon completion for more information please visit our website or call one 877-617-8839. Call now. Trying to feed a crowd? Order Chick-fil-A catering online from our friend Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. Hot or cold, the scrumptious platters from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square make throwing your party easy and affordable. Hot Chick-fil-A nuggets, grilled chicken, cool wraps, salad trays, and the chocolate chunk cookie tray. And Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will deliver. Place your order now. Go to Chick-fil-A.com, choose the Nottingham Square store, and get your party started. It's delicious, and your house will smell out of this world. Don't forget the Chick-fil-A surprise. Prize play of the game. Reheatable bite-sized nuggets are sure to draw a crowd. And it's still cold outside. Slurp up the sizzling chicken tortilla soup or the soul-cheering chicken noodle soup at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Tennis? No. Rugby? Nope. No? Just football. NFL football. College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Right now is your best time to upgrade into a new Chevrolet or Mitsubishi during Jerry's Trade-In Trade-Up event. Jerry's is offering up to 130% Kelly Blue Book value for your trade. Take advantage of Jerry's lowest prices on all the new 2018 Chevy and Mitsubishi models, including Malibus, Equinox, and Colorado trucks. Plus, they come with Jerry's extended service care, featuring four years of free maintenance. Visit Jerry's Chevrolet on Joppa Road or online at jerrychevrolet.com. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. 
Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org schools for more information. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash impact. There's strong, then there's Army Strong, paid for by the United States Army. And we are back on the Battle Round Stand the Fan, along with Craig Heist on this uh, first Saturday in the month of February. It's uh, brutally cold outside. And I imagine up in New England, it's just as cold, if not colder. And we bring in the hot one, Mike Shallon. Mike, how are you? Nice and warm up here. It's Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. Well, how's this Super Bowl going to turn out? <laughs> well, have you written? Have, have you written about that? I am in the process of doing that right now. Mm. Well, not as we speak, because I'm talking to you. But um, I can't. I just can't see them losing. Uh, you know, I, the Eagles are good, or like the Eagles, as they say in Philadelphia, are good. But um, how, how do you go against? How do you go against this group? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I mean, it could happen. Yep. You know, I, the spread's only four and a half. Uh, if I was a betting person, I would bet. I would give the points. Um, but you know, the Eagles uh, did something very special. In, you know, in their last game, and and uh, they will, you know, they will present problems uh, for the Patriots' offense. They have a very, very good defense, and um, I just, I just can't see them losing this game. If you know, Nick, I, if, I, I if, I, if, I, if, if Nick Foles, if Nick Foles turns into Nick Foles, I'm, I'm with you 100. percent And I, and I think if they give Brady any kind of time to throw the ball, this is going to be a New England win again. Well, I mean, how do you stop them? They, you know, to me, and I, you know, to me, Rob Gronkowski is the best player in football, um, and he's playing. He's um, he's been cleared to play, uh, and the combination of you know, them having everybody healthy is, uh, you know, of course, Edelman's not there, but Amendola has more than replaced Edelman, and um, uh, Cooks has replaced Amendola basically. I I don't know how you stop them. Now, what about what about the fact that two of their their two coordinators are both their their heads are halfway there and halfway in their new jobs? Nah, I I don't. You're not that. buying that, okay? Nah, I All think right. these are these are Belichick people. Um, I'm sure that when you know uh, Patricia and and McDaniel's go back to their respective hotel rooms at night, they're they're thinking a little bit about what what happens to them on Monday, but um, I I just don't see it. I, I you know I'm not going to say that they could win this game without coordinators, obviously, but this is this is such a, a finely tuned machine um, that uh, you know. Listen, when they were behind 28 to three in that game last year, mm-hmm. and you thought that all right. They're going to lose, and they, let's face it, they're playing with house money. You know, as far yeah. as yeah. as far as historical perspective <laughs> is concerned. But the experience that they have, you know, I was just reading this this uh, this stat um, 
it's uh, something called Sportsline, and it points out that Brady's played in seven Super Bowls. The entire Eagles roster has played in seven Super Bowls. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That yeah. is a good one. So, you know, I, I just uh, – now, I, I don't think we should underestimate the the uh, the expatriate factor. I think I've maintained that they made a mistake in letting Lagarde Blunt go, mm-hmm. and this is his chance to show that. But I could also see him rushing seven times for five yards. So, um, and 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 Chris Long on the other side of the ball. So, I just I don't see it, you know. But again, All right. uh, I've been proven wrong before, but not not usually when it comes to these guys. All right, I like the Eagles in the football game, but I wanted to talk to you about another football topic before we jump into baseball, which is what we had you on to talk about. Uh, I talked to Bashadi after his press conference yesterday about something totally off the off the wall. I said, you know, last, last two weeks ago, the Vikings and the Eagles played the NFC Championship game with backup quarterbacks, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I said, as an industry, I know it's not an easy fix, but most teams, I would say 25 out of 27 teams in the NFL, have total throwaways at the number two quarterback position. Is there something you could see the NFL doing to try and develop some more of these guys? And case in point, Mike, the fact that the Ravens were even in a position to get to the playoffs in their final game was the fact that for four, five, four or five weeks in a row, they played backup quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Great I point. think it's a problem um, in all sports. I think that uh, you look at the path that, that the Golden State Warriors, for instance, have taken to, to – their elite status, they seem to, every time they have to play a great, a really good team, the other team seems to be injured. Um, did you know that another thing that this Sportsline thing pointed out to me is that uh, Foles is the 11th backup quarterback to start in the Super Bowl. And wow. And what's their record? between eight and two. Eight and two. <laughs> now, that I'm, is really interesting. I'm going to the. I'm going to the. I'm book going today. to the. Book, yeah, <laughs> that goes back. To, that goes back to Earl Morrow, right? Yeah, 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 you're right. But but you bring up. You you say it's endemic in all the sports. I don't think there's another position. It's like the Orioles. Even though they only have two starting pitchers right now, if Gosman gets hurt, they got Bundy as their number one. The right. Ravens, if Joe Flacco gets hurt next year, and they're in the midst of a playoff run. They might have Ryan Mallett come in. I mean, there's no other sport where your backup to to what the key to your team is is nine out of ten times. It's a throwaway guy. Foles got real money. Foles got six million dollars to yeah, play this but year. The that, listen, the Patriots were were faced with this earlier this season, and they were faced with um, with Garoppolo. Garoppolo yeah. Uh, they would have had a, they would have had to franchise him at twenty four million dollars over the uh, over the off season. Now, what do you? Do? The only way you can do what you're talking about is to remove the backup quarterback from the salary cap, right? And and I don't know how you do that, but I, I guess you could. I, but then you, then you're dealing with. I now, think it's more than I think it's more than the cap situation. And Bashadi was privy. He said there's no way to fix that without there being a real developmental league. There's no other sport where the guy that plays the most important position can't really get real reps in in games that mean something. Now do you think do you think that 
how many teams in the NFL? 32. 32. 32, 32, 32. Yeah. Do you think there's 32 legitimate starters in the NFL? No. No, there's not. <laughs> there's not. Well, now you want now you want teams to have two guys. But that's um, p- but that's partly because of, of the fact that the the Tyrod Taylors when they were coming up, the Ryan Mallets when they were coming up, they didn't have any place to play until they got thrown in as starters. I, I don't know. It's a it's a unique problem, and I'm not saying the Ravens are alone in this. Uh, but I sure as hell would have felt a lot more comfortable if Brady got hurt having – who did they have, Brian Hoyer uh-huh. at the end of the year? I would have felt more comfortable they could win two or three games in a row with him than Ryan Mallett. Ryan I Mallett's one of the worst quarterbacks. I, I think they might have won two or three games in a row with me. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, they uh, – That's a bad example. Hurt, that's a bad example. Well, you Patriots. know, I'm, I'm, I'm old, but I got, I got the wing, you know. All right. But yeah. the um, – uh, in in 2008, when Brady went down in the first first game, yep. they won 11 games yeah. in that castle yep. and um, barely missed the playoffs, I think, on a tiebreaker, if I remember correctly. But, um, I mean, where do they where, where do they develop? So if you had a developmental league, per se, yeah. that level of competition is lower than the, than the college level that these guys are coming from. Well, so, well, you have the XFL in a couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I'm sure that's going to happen. All uh, right, let's turn back to baseball. We're not going to figure out the quarterbacks, uh, backup okay. quarterback problem. Uh, when I mentioned you were on, Craig Heist said, I really want to hear what he thinks about the pace of play and uh, the commissioner talking about implementing, but now kind of more negotiating with the Players Association. And, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say this, too. I'm, I'm going to add the football analogy here. I am so tired of these two commissioners, uh, but for various, for different reasons. If I'm Rob Manford, I'm begging you, please leave the game alone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's just, you know, this pace of game, I mean, you just can't well, let's let the them, game. let's let them answer the question. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. First of all, I'm sick of hearing about it. Right. But second of all, um, you got a situation now where the players are ticked off because of the collusion that's going on. Yeah. And, you know, you can get the president up there saying no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. But this looks like collusion revisited to me uh, with all these guys unsigned. So they're mad about that. And you're trying to implement something which, you know, if it shaves five minutes off a game, what does that mean? Right. It doesn't mean anything. You know, I... I just don't know if I don't know if it's fixable. To be honest with you, um, yeah, you can you can limit the the trips to the mound. Um, I don't know. Maybe you even put some sort of a earpiece in the pitcher. I don't I, so the catcher can talk to. Him. I don't right. know. Right. But but it's um, and believe me, the 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 games are excruciating at times. They're they're, they're very tough to watch. I just don't know if. Shaving five minutes off a off a three hour game is gonna is gonna be noticeable, you know. Right, uh, and worth and worth the angst it's creating between the two sides. I agree, you know. And then you got the situation with, well, there's gonna be a pitch count when there's nobody on base, and then they're talking about pitch count. I mean, a pitch clock, and then you're talking about maybe putting one in with guys on base. Now, what does that do to throws to first? You know, like, do you throw to first and then it resets? 
is it like the 24 second clock where you got to hit the you know hit the rim or something and, and to, to make it reset? I don't know. Um, I would like to see one thing that could help is that relief pitchers have to face more than one batter. But you do that, and you're affecting the strategy of the game. Yeah. You're, you're, you're affecting the basic heart of the game. So, to me, it's um, it's a lot of talk about nothing. You know, the, there, I've been to, I was in an NFL game this year that actually, the Patriots game that actually lasted less than three hours. But the normal, you know, why are we, why do I have to watch um, Madam Secretary on delay, which which screws up my which screws up my DVR because all NFL games are too long. College games have become ridiculously long right. in football. Uh, you know, I think that unless you're willing to unless you're willing to eliminate money commercials, then I don't know how you fix any yeah. either one of these sports or reshape the way the commercials are presented to you. You know, well, you we all like know that they're we all know they're valued less than they were 20 years ago. Yeah, you know, put them so in a box at the put bottom. Put them in a box at the point. bottom and have the announcer do a quick read, you know, yeah. or something like that. Let's go to the other point that that you're making uh, about you're calling it collusion. Isn't it just possible that after watching the most important games of the year, and we now know that in those games, those starting pitchers very rarely pitch more than six innings in those big games. It's not like Jack Morris pitching into the tenth mm-hmm. inning. You got Clayton Kershaw going out in the, after five and the third. Maybe teams are, at least in the way of pitching, when you see a Tommy Hunter get nine million a year for two years, and Pat Neshak get that kind of money for two years. Maybe they're just sort of changing what they view as important in terms of spending their dollars when it comes to pitching. Well, I, I don't think if you look at the list of the hundreds of guys, the hundred plus guys out there, most of them aren't pitchers. I, I think. I think it's. I think where this is being felt is is in the hitters. You know, there there are guys. You know, there's talk of of these guys um, doing their own spring training mm-hmm. to uh, to stay in shape, and and uh, I I I think that that there is a um, the owners are are are. are smartening up when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's not collusion. That doesn't mean that there wasn't some organized effort to do this. And and uh, they've, listen, they've paid through the nose before. We know, we know that. Um, but it's it's a situation where there's some pretty good players out there. You know, and I remember I remember going back to the to the days when this first started and uh, I think I, I think I remember making a point at the time that guys like remember Daryl Thomas, who was a great utility player. Yeah, guys like that are are the ones that are going to get um, that are going to get left out, squeezed out. And part of the problem is, is, as Boris said, I think yesterday, there's 11 teams that aren't competing. And you know, one one problem that baseball has that hockey has actually remedied is they don't have a floor. So if the Miami Marlins want to go out with a $9 million payroll this year, they can do that. Uh, whereas in hockey, I, I think the floor is like $45 million where the cap is 76 or whatever it is. If you put a floor on these things, then, then, every, then a lot of these guys will be signed simply to avoid the punishment of not going over the floor mm-hmm. of the cap. 
going under now, the, the going problem under there the, is they don't have a cap right. per se. So they, what they have is a luxury tax, which is which is different from the cap, and and now you've got teams like the you know the big money teams are, are sitting back going well. Yankees, Yankees want to sign Darvish, which I don't understand why they need him, but they they want to sign Darvish, so they got to move somebody else. So, uh, so they get under, so they stay under the tax, which allows them next year, which is the big bumper crop, right, to, to then allow go... them to pay twenty cents on a dollar instead of fifty cents on a dollar. Well, you know that's that. So now you got now you got a group of teams not competing, so they're not going to sign anybody. And you've got the the elite group of teams who are saying we got to stay under the one ninety seven, so they're not going to sign anybody. Right. So, but what but happens at, is you've got a hundred guys, you know, two weeks till spring training, uh, whatever it is, two and a half weeks, and, and you've got a bunch of guys who are quality major league baseball players who don't have jobs. But at you what know? point does a Brandon Moss and what he says ring true that this is really a byproduct of the union? Having softened up and not negotiating a strong enough contract, there was only one Marvin Miller. And well, there was a Don Fear who was there was a Don Fear, there was Don a Don was Fear but and, and Michael Weiner was a great conciliator or you know conciliator or conciliator. But but the Tony Clark may be totally out of his realm here in this. Be. Sure, <clears throat> they they didn't do well in the in the last contract. But then again, the average salary is what ten million dollars a year. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. You know, they're, 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 all I know is that there are rosters that are not filled, and there's also the Boris factor, with, where, where you've got teams. You know, all the Red Sox are in the are in the quandary with with uh, JD Martinez, and to me. Five years, 125 million is good, and Eric Hosmer is is not signing because he wants eight years instead of seven. Right. I mean, I mean that's on. that's that's why it's hard for me to say this is collusion. That they're they're this is this has a different feel to it uh, than than it did 15, 18 years ago, 20 years ago. Oh, I agree uh, with that. I think yeah. they're different. I think there are varying degrees of collusion. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we let you go. The J.D. Martinez thing, when you analyze it, how upset is he right now? How frustrated is he? And is there a chance all of a sudden he says, screw the Red Sox, I'll take a one-year deal and come back at this next year? You mean a one-year deal with some, Arizona? Some, yeah, with Arizona or somebody else. I think there's a chance of that. I think Moustakas is another guy in that situation. Yeah. You know, everybody's got Machado going to the Yankees next year. Well, the Yankees need a third baseman for this year. Right. And you put Mustakas and his 30, 35 home runs in that ballpark in the middle of that lineup, and it just gives them, you know, even more power. So I could, but they, I could see him going to the Yankees for a year. But they sign, yeah, for one year, but they then have to give up the draft pick, right? Uh, yeah, well. And, and um, some international signing money. It's, well, the uh, Yankees have enough yeah. young talent that I don't even think that would, that would bother them, but... Uh, that's another factor working against these players now. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- it, I think their union has not. I don't think Tony Clark is up for this job. I think he's not going to be long for that job. Well, what the baseball players are finally getting a glimpse of is how how bad the how badly the NFL players have been hammered over the years. Yeah, and yeah. it's a very it's a very difficult way to um, you know to uh, to go out and make a living. But uh-huh. baseball players do get the guaranteed contracts though, and then. And there's still a lot of money involved. All right, give me the score of tomorrow's uh, Super Bowl. 
I'm going to go 31-13 for New England. Wow. Yeah, and, blowout. Um, blowout city. And, and as you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Patriots uh, toady. I, I'm not, I know I'm that. Just, I know that. I'm sitting here, and I, I just, you know, I, I can only imagine the duck boats getting warmed up. All and, right. You heading and down? With that, with that, i got to give a shameless plug yep. to the, uh, my book, The Hometown Team, which um, I worked with uh, photographer Steve Babineau here in Boston. It's his four decades of shooting the Red Sox. Wow. And I wrote all the words around it. He's got some great pictures of Ted taking batting practice at Old Timers Day and things like that. Should we get Steve on the show sometime? Absolutely. All right. Maybe Absolutely. we can get a copy of the book sent down here. Real Absolutely. quick. Real right. quick story. Yeah. Uh, I'm driving in today, and I'm listening to Ed Randall and Rico Petroselli. On, on, I always listen. Okay. Remember when. Remember yeah. when. And he's talking about he, they have Phil Cuzzy on the umpire. I that's when I turned it off right five uh, okay, minutes well, into that. Yeah, Phil, Phil's talking about uh, the fact that he rung he 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 rung a batter up with a check swing uh, several years ago, and uh, it was maybe even a spring training game, and he he says, "Yeah, you went," you know, and all of a sudden there's a voice from behind the the the, the screen behind the plate, and he says. No, he didn't. He turned uh, around, and there was Ted Willie. <laughs> and, probably, and, then and Cuzzy, not the worst call Cuzzy's ever right. made. Well, Cuzzy right. turns to the batter, and he goes, I guess you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, before we let you go, I just wanted to give some props to Alex Cora. I thought he did a really neat thing with the uh, raising of some money for uh, um, hurricane relief. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox uh, stepped in and... I think they help raise a good chunk of money down there. Yeah, and he's uh, is he down there as we speak? I think. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think he might be down there, and I think Rick Porcello is with him, and right, uh, and some of the brass. And, and but I um, thought they all did a great job. Yeah, at that. Yep, yeah. I think that uh, you know what the uh, what the Houston owner did when it first happened with uh, giving his you know giving his plane and stuff. It just it, listen, there's good people in the world. There's no doubt about it. There's uh, there's bad people, but there's there's a lot of good people, and those are the ones we have to count on. All right, Mike. We appreciate your being on. We'll we'll reach out to you in about a month or so. Anytime. See you. All guys. right. Thank you. There he goes, Mike Shallon. Mike Shallon, New Hampshire Union leader. Uh, we are going to make our connection with Ed Wheatley, the author of this book, The St. Louis Browns: The Story of a Beloved Team. Uh, he's going to join us in just a moment. You had a chance to peruse the the book a tiny bit well once you said a lot of pictures once you said that i i said have you read it yet and you said well i I don't really read a lot of books unless there's pictures (laughs) in it and uh, certainly this fits the bill (laughs) but it's uh there's no question there's a a a history that goes that predates the the current orioles you know in the 60 plus years now that the orioles have been in baltimore and uh there's there's certainly a fan base, Stan, uh, for people who remember this team, and, and there's a passion about it And when they were in St. Louis. All right. Well, joining us right now is the co-author of St. Louis Browns, the story of a beloved team, and that is Ed Wheatley, and he wrote this book with Bill Borst and Bill Rogers. Thank you, Ed, for joining us again. How are you doing, guys? We're doing okay. Appreciate your coming on with us. Can you hear okay. us Okay. Hear you very well. All right. Um, Craig makes a point. Craig Heist is my co-host. Uh, he makes okay. a point that there's still a, a group of people, a fairly sizable group of people that that love this team, remember this team. But like in a lot of things, 
are you growing new fans? Are there people that uh, are fans of the Browns uh, or fans of the story that weren't even alive then? Are you able to transition some people into being St. Louis Browns lovers? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, what in just the last uh, several months since we last talked, right, the book first came out at the end of September. I mean, we've got a, a fan club that is about 600-plus members now that's nationwide. And to your point of uh, younger many, generation. What was, that, what was that figure? I'm sorry. It's, uh, it has it, it exceeded 600 members now okay. nationwide. And to your point, every time I have a book event or a book signing or we have – you know, we're one of the few teams that still has this active fan club, and, like, we have an annual luncheon, and we have quarterly roundtables. <clears throat> you know, like, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers fan club has faded away. The Philadelphia Athletics fan club has faded away. The Boston still has, like, um, publications they send out, but not the get-togethers that we still have. And it's amazing how there's this feeling when people come either to a book event, they they come and tell us, oh, this is my father's team, my grandfather's team. This is all I heard. I want to I want to read about this team and understand it. And uh, it's, it's also kind of funny. It's kind of like I always joke about rant, Antique Roadshow because they bring us all these, these items that have been held. You know, the team hasn't been playing for almost 65 years now, but, you know, these, these memories are here's my ticket stub, you know, from the 44 World Series, or they bring us programs or autographed balls to – to show, or even a lot of times they just donate it to the to the Brown Historical Society. But no, the base has really come alive. How's the book doing? I know I oh, know you book. told me it was doing quite well uh, back when we had you on in the late fall. Yeah, yeah, the book has done outstanding um, across the, not only the, the Midwest region and you know, where the Browns played or had their farm clubs, but across the country, we're getting you know inputs from like the Barnes and Noble and and uh, Amazon and all the different venues, whether it's a, it's a big box store or online, it's done very well. And actually, what you know, probably the the best mark is in two fronts. One, we were just nominated for the uh, Larry Ritter Award for best baseball book published. Congrat- in congratulations on that nomination! Yeah, thank you, thank you. And the other part is that um, our PBS affiliates have witnessed what you just spoke of a moment ago, this influx of people's memories. And they had put together an option on the on the uh, book. They did right after it came out, and they heard what we were doing and saw what we were doing um, and put together a documentary. Uh, and it follows to the T, Ken Burns' baseball documentary, but it's just the Browns. And like the book, which we had Bob Costas, a, a local St. Louis uh, icon here in this world of sports world, the time he spent here. He did our forward, and John Hamm, the actor, who is just a diehard sports and especially baseball fan here in San Luis, he, he did our voiceovers in this film. He was so glad to do it. But the PBS affiliates had recognized this passion and this want to go back to this time of baseball here in San Luis with the, with the two teams, the competition with the Cardinals. But Really, the love of the Browns still lives around here. I mean, you still see people walking around with Browns hats on or such when you go to the ball game. It's it is it's it's still a love affair with this team. It's what? been like I said, anybody who was alive 
when the Browns last played, they've got to have a Medicare card this year. That's right. Uh, of the 600 or so that you're talking about in the, in the, in the club, uh, what's the biggest thing that they tell you about the old Browns and also maybe even this book now that, that now that it's out? What, what's you know, the general the, sentiment? What, what's the main thing that kind of sticks out to you that they, that they relay to you? I think there's two things. One, they feel it's a forgotten team in the world of baseball. Um, you know, you go to Oakland and you see all the pennants that Connie Mack won in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You go to Atlanta and you hear about Hank Aaron's home runs, which happened really, you know, almost exclusively um, in Milwaukee. Or Warren Spahn's 300-plus wins in Milwaukee and Boston. And, you know, the Dodgers still herald um, Jackie Robinson. Don Newcomb, Roy Campanella, all the great Pee Wee Reese, Brooklyn Dodgers. And they feel that these the Browns had some, you know, they were losers. I'm not going to deny that. But they had some really good teams, especially in the 20s when they were one of the best teams in baseball, and great players like George Sisler. We had, we had our first quarter roundtable, and it was the Sisler family came and presented. We had a packed house, people bringing Browns, Game used bats, Browns uniforms, even from the 20s, the Sisler here. And he was talking about this is one of the greatest men to ever play baseball. Right. If you look at his 1920 season, you know, first or second in every offensive category, and then what he did in 22. And nobody knows about it. You know, there aren't statues, you know, up in Baltimore. And I'm saying this is Baltimore's decision. I'm just saying the fact. But people feel they're forgotten. And then the second part is they were a team, like I said, they were losers. They weren't, you know, the Cardinals, this story about Branch Rickey taking over and building the great Cardinal um, farm system and all the great players after he left the Browns and the pennant winners in 20s, 30s, 40s. So the Browns were kind of this hapless, lovable team. And it just had a, a cult following that people, uh, they said my grandparents, my pa- they just loved the Browns because they were um, the lovable losers. But it's mainly it's like it's just a shame baseball has forgotten this team, and that's probably the biggest sentiment. We're talking with Ed Wheatley, the co-author of St. Louis Browns: The Story of a Beloved Team. Uh, we're on the bat around, and Ed, who are some of the the real characters that populated the Browns rosters over their history? I mean, who are some of the fan favorites? Well, I mean, again, we talked about George Sisley, you know, one of the great, you know. If, if you see some of these testimonies that their grandsons brought about Schistler, you know, speaking guys like Branch, Ricky, Babe, Ruth, Ty Cobb, uh, Lou Gehrig, you know, and even Roberto Clemente and Jackie Robinson, you know, Schistler is the guy who Branch, Ricky took with him to Boston and said, I got a young kid up in Montreal. I want him up. I don't want him to fail. I don't want him to play shortstop. I want him to play first base, make sure he's ready to hit and plays first base in the big league. He's the one, who made Jackie Robinson in the minors be ready to come up and, and do his thing here in the majors. But beyond Sisler, there was this outfield of Kenny Williams, Baby Dow Jacobson, Johnny Tobin, the only outfield in Major League history, five straight years to play on the same team year after year and hit over 300. They were great players. Wow. But then you get to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said, wow, that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't know that. No, 
I mean, you do have the, you know, the, the, the shenanigan guys of Pete Gray with one arm, Eddie Goodell, three foot seven inch. But, you know, the Browns were more than the gimmicks of Bill Veck. I mean, and, you know, Bill Veck and himself, that whole story with the Browns is he really thought he could run the Cardinals out of St. Louis and take over the town and make the Browns the big, um, the winners of, and have a great career. You know, he won pennant the Indians in 48, had to sell, came to St. Louis, saw the perfect storm. The, the uh, Cardinals owner was going to jail for tax evasion. The Cardinals did not have a stadium. Bill Veck held their lease, thought he could run them out. And he really tried to get the fans. The problem was he just didn't have good players at that time. And then Augie Bush, the owner of Anheuser-Busch, bought the Cardinals in the sale of the ownership because it was all viewed the Cardinals were headed to Houston. So his efforts to try to win the city make him a character. But players, you had Bobo Newsom, he comes up in his first game, he throws a no-hitter, and then shortly he's out of baseball, goes to the minors, he can't get anybody out, but he throws a no-hitter. Um, so, so at the, you have Roy yeah. I'm sorry? Now, so at the time that Bill Veck ends up sell, he had to sell the Browns. He was not allowed to move the no. Browns. Is that right. because they, baseball they, wanted him out? Yes, if they I did recall at that correctly. Time. Yeah, yeah. He, he, the shenanigans he pulled with Eddie Goodell, you know, three foot seven inch pin hit shooter. I mean, but you got to look at it in a bigger picture. He was trying to bring fans into the stands when he couldn't win. His team wasn't good enough to win. But he actually increased about seventy percent attendance over the previous year. He would bring the Harlem Globetrotters in and play, uh, put a basketball court at second base after the game. The Globetrotters would play. He would actually bring circus acts and things into the stadium after games. But bringing in Eddie Goodell, bringing in his one night where the fans managed, you know, the yeah. grandstand manager nights, the, the, the fans attending got these little placards that said yes or no. And a, and a person would stand by the dugout. The manager actually sat in a rocking chair in dress clothes on top of the dugout, but they would ask questions like Hank Arf, a big, early first baseman. Uh, very, very slow, but he was a big power hitter. He walks. Up goes the sign. Should he steal? All the people in the state say yes. Those <laughs> the athletics with no dummies. They watch the sign. They, they said yes. Hank says, I got to do what I'm told. He takes off. He's out by 25 feet. So the owner said he was making a mockery of the game and said, that's enough. You have to sell. It wasn't his, his choice. Um, he was told he had to sell. Oh. And, and is he despised in, in the St. Louis Browns history now? Or has he yeah, been he, for, for 70 years, close to 70 years? Yeah, it is close to 70. You know, it's one of these things. People recognize he tried, and I'll give you some of the good things. I mean, he actually built an apartment in Sportsman's Park where the, Car where the Browns and Cardinals played because he gave it 24-7. Every child that was born in St. Louis during his reign received a letter with a special poem hand-signed by Bill Veck inviting him to be a Brownie, mm -hmm. and there were two passes to bring their parents to a game. Mm. Every child, boy who was born during his tenure – was given, sent a letter that was an invitation to a spring training tryout in 18 years. <laughs> he would go to every civic club and every bar 
touting the Browns, buying people drinks. He would walk the stands in every game. You know, when when um, I was talking to J.W. Porter or Don Larson, who uh, were with the Browns, I mean, and they just speak highly of Beck and how he tried. And I think that was the thing. He, he tried and tried. He just didn't have the players on the field. And he really thought he would run the Cardinals out of town by, and he missed by a mile. making it impossible to play at Sportsman's Park. And then with the, their ownership change, he just didn't foresee the Anheuser-Busch Brewery buying the Cardinals and um, the turnaround that, that Bush did with the Cardinals from uh, what happened. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's really hard to write yeah. about Bill Veck, his son, Mike Veck. Is a, is a good partner of our Browns fan club and comes and speaks often uh, at our uh, banquets. And actually, he um, has just spoken to us here in the last couple of weeks and is, it will be at one of our events. God, Mike, must, year, so. Mike must be in his early 70s now, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yep. I and, used to know, you know Mike been 30 years ago. In yeah. the past. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's, it's people initially um, – you know, they were hanging Vec in effigy, but they still have fond memories. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. We have people who come with their grandstand manager pass. Or I think everybody in St. Louis was at the Eddie Goodell game, you know, when you look back at it. Uh, and, you know, the Cardinals themselves right now, Bill DeWitt Jr., the CEO of the Cardinals, and Bill DeWitt III, I mean, they are outstanding partners of the Browns in St. Louis. Um, they they are they're very strong partners and your audience may not know their father was the longtime general manager executive and even for three years the owner of the browns so and it was and it was bill dewitt jr the ceo of the cardinals it was his uniform that eddie goodell wore that day he made his famous little trip to the plate because he was the bat boy so you know there's all these stories in the browns history that it's really hard to make up stories this good because they're all true. The, uh, the, and that's what really I think the legacy is about is it, there were some great stories. The the uh, the fan club. I know my friend, uh, you know. Uh, Barry? Yeah, Barry Blank and uh, his mm-hmm. wife Ginger. They come yep. just about every year to your fan club. Do, do you have right. stories about how far people come to come to this convention? Well, yeah, you know, Barry and them live generally in Phoenix or San Diego, where they split their time. When we had just the, the one we had in September, we had people from Washington State, Montana, uh, Florida, New York. I mean, we have a, a very substantive uh, Los Angeles. Like we're working right now for in two weeks. Um, when uh, Bobby Doerr died uh, about a month and a half ago, Chuck Stevens who played for the Browns, is now the oldest living major leaguer. He will turn 100 here in July, and there's some events. And we've got a whole thing we're working with Los Angeles out there for, for his celebration and, and those people coming to St. Louis here this this um, uh, this summer later when we have our event. You know, Like I said, Mike Veck is going to travel up um, to, to be with us. But we have them like from you know, Texas. I mean, I can, I can name about uh, – 16 states that people have come from that are not contiguous to Missouri. 
Hey, as I'm as I'm thumbing through the book right now, I see this picture on page twelve of Rube Waddell in yeah. uh, in 1909. It looks like with the Browns mascot. Uh, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. What was the dog's name? Was it Browning? Um, you know, we've always asked, and if you the funny thing about that picture, as I'm turning to it, you know, when he's got that sweater, yeah. You, did you notice they didn't spell mascot right? <laughs> oh, no, I, I just read, they spelled it massot. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I we've never figured that out what the what the name was. <laughs> Maybe his name was Massot. <laughs> yeah, that's very funny. I didn't notice that, but it's a very yeah, you'll, cute, you'll cute see picture. That. Yeah, and you'll have you'll see a couple places where people have signs or pennants or pins where they never put the S on Rogers Hornsby. It was always Roger Hornsby. People not printing things, but but to your point, we tried to make this book a thing of memories, not just all words and. We got about seven hundred pictures. Of oh, the pictures players. are the pictures are priceless. The pictures, you know, memorabilia. I wanted a lot of memorabilia so people. Could, I had that. I had that. You know. Yep. Well, you've got pictures of ticket stubs, diagrams of Sportsman's Park. It's a it's a really terrific terrific read. How can people get the book? Well, as you, as you said, it's called St. Louis Browns: The Story of a Beloved Team, and they can. You know, go online and, and just by Google that, and it'll come up at any of the stores around the country uh, and make a purchase. You go into Barnes and Noble and other bookstores. I know we have talked with some of the the Barnes and Noble stores there in Baltimore. Uh, we're, we're trying to get it sold in the, in, in Camden Yards uh, books. You know, team store. Yep. Or that you can come to the. Um, St. Louis Browns, which is our website is the stlbrowns.com and order it. But you know, like I said, you can pick it up anywhere online, any of the stores, or even the big big bookstores. Yeah, I'm looking right now at page 92. My favorite player growing up, I was a, a born in Washington. My favorite Washington senator of the old team was the uh, was Roy Sievers. And oh, it's yeah. It's amazing that he played. He was a hometown kid from St. Louis. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing you talk about these unique stories. Roy Seavers grew up and lived about two blocks from Sportsman's Park. He went to high school at Beaumont High School, which is about four blocks from Sportsman's Park. Mm-hmm. And then what's he do when he graduates? He was, a, he was a great ball player at Beaumont High School. He signs with the team playing four blocks away. And becomes rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, think about this as every kid's dream. You know, play for the home team. You know, hey, and hey, you become I, rookie of the year. I got to ask one question before we let you go. Uh, yeah, Baltimore uh, Ravens were the Cleveland Browns. When you look at a lot of old Correct. Cleveland stuff, you see this little sort of figurine that was their not their mascot, their emblem. Right, and, and yeah. now I'm looking at page ninety eight. And I'm seeing mm-hmm. the the face of the emblem. So, what is a a brown? Is it Kinda just like a elf. color, or or was a brownie something like an elf almost? Well, th- that symbol, Bill Beck created that symbol okay. because before that, the symbol really was this statue of Louis the Ninth, which sits prominently in in Forest Park in St. Louis. Forest Park is was actually was designed by the same guy who designed Central Park, and it's where the big World's Fair of 1904 was held, and there's this huge 
statue of Louis the Ninth of France there in front of the art museum. That was the symbol. But the the little elf, Bill Vec wanted a new image, and he liked the elf. The Browns name actually came from the American Association. There was a team called the Brown Stockings in those days. Baseball teams like the Red Legs, the Red Sox, White Sox, yeah. even the Indians in those days were called the Blues because it was based on what color your socks were. And when the Cardinals came in into the National League in 1892, they were actually the St. Louis Browns because they were a transition from that American Association team. And then they started changing their sock colors to what became Cardinal Red. this lovely shade of Cardinal Red, and that's yeah. how they adopted mm-hmm. the Cardinal name. So when the Browns came in in 1902, when the American League – was formed in 1901. They took the tradition of the Brown Sox and became the Browns. The so Browns. that's how they got the name. Okay. And that's how the Elf came about when Bill Vec bought the uh, team in the early 50s. All right. Again, it's a, uh, a really interesting book to read, thumb through, have on your coffee table if you're a baseball fan. Again, the book is called St. Louis Browns, The Story of a Beloved Team. Thank you very much for your time, Ed. Appreciate right. it. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll talk again. All right. Thank Bye. you. Very, very interesting. It is. It is. And, and to have the, the, the group together to where they can meet and, you know, come together, I think it's, it's, so are it's you plan? Are you going to go this year? I'm not going to go this year because I, you know, I had nothing to do with the, how about next year? No. Well, the Browns, I mean, I mean, I wasn't even I'm born. Kidding. I know, I'm but kidding. I'm just saying, but, but it would be interesting. It would be interesting. Sure. It would be interesting. You know, they've, they've hit me up to try, you know, with my connections with the Orioles. Right. And I said, I said, it's, I said, I, it's not a, a thing of lack of respect or anything. They don't even honor the 83 team or the 66 team. It's like pulling teeth. They're not going to honor the no, St. And, you Louis know, Browns. It's ironic because we were talking about this last week on the, on the Masson show right. with Nat's talk yep. is that, you know, there's, all of a sudden, the the Nationals want to kind of still incorporate the Montreal Expo uh, right. history and into nobody the here and wa- nobody, nobody in can, Washington right. cares about it, and nor would national fans care about the Washington Senators. Yeah, well, yeah, to, well, to, no, I can't necessarily say that, yeah, because they had lost two teams, yeah. But but I mean, you, listen, you, I'm a Senators about, fan. You think about Frank you. Howard and yeah. some of the you know Ted Williams managing that team yep. in the late uh, '60s. Uh, people care about that down there. Phil Ortega. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, people, especially when he, what did he do? He ran around <laughs> naked. He he did something crazy. Yeah, he only, got arrested only, in his hotel. only you would remember. That. <laughs> you kind of remember yeah, it too yeah, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Got All a couple right. uh, before we go to Mike Bordick. Yeah. We got to take a break and then yeah. go to Mike Bordick. But uh, a couple of guys online today were talking about AJ uh, wants to know about Ryan Mountcastle and whether he'll play third base uh, at some at some point this year uh, or some place. I'm and sure I, he I will would, at uh, Bowie. At Bowie and that kind of down in the minor leagues. Yeah, uh, he's two years away at least, right. maybe three. wants to know why Tim Beckham has an attitude, why his attitude is being questioned. Uh, he said he showed up for Fan Fest while Manny and Scope didn't. Well, I don't touché. think that's touche. That's a good point. But I don't think that's why we're saying that he's got. I mean, this this goes back. and Okay. Uh, You're saying that. I yeah. have no knowledge of that. But that, anyway. that there, that there well, are questions heard, about I've his heard, attitude. I've heard some things that, uh-huh. you know. I, I loved watching him play this, this you know, oh, his I two months too. with the Orioles. I think yeah. he could be a very valuable part of this team. Yeah. I think he could. Uh, listen. 
If he can take the third base, he's got a chance to be kind of like Melvin Mora. Yeah. You know, Melvin Mora became a great third baseman. Terrific field yeah, absolutely. third baseman. All right, we're going to take a timeout right now. When we get back, one thing we can agree on is that Mike Bordick was a pretty fair shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles and the Oakland A's and briefly for the New York Mets. He will join the bat around in just a couple minutes. Coming to the Owings Mills Metro Center soon, Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for Guys, where they offer hand and foot grooming, barbering, and straight razor shaves, all in a relaxed man cave nirvana. You get your own TV and remote, top-of-the-line noise-canceling headphones, and a complimentary beverage, all while you kick back in a seat that has been custom-crafted with your comfort being the number one priority. Trust me when I say this is a -a one-of-a-kind experience that will have you feeling like a modern-day king. That's Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for guys coming soon to the Owings Mills Metro Center. Find out more by going to hammerandnailsgrooming.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. For the first time ever, it's our best of Baltimore sports double issue as we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the last 12 months, including the announcement of our first ever local sports person of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Our children's futures start at a very young age, and Catholic schools prepare them for that future. Academic excellence with the belief that all students will succeed. A balanced curriculum integrating music and arts, foreign language, and Catholic faith, while challenging students in the areas of science, math, and technology. Discover the Catholic school's difference. Please visit archbalt.org slash schools for more information. Right now is your best time to upgrade into a new Chevrolet or Mitsubishi during Jerry's Trade-In Trade-Up event. Jerry's is offering up to 130% Kelly Blue Book value for your trade. Take advantage of Jerry's lowest prices on all the new 2018 Chevy and Mitsubishi models, including Malibus, Equinox, and Colorado trucks. Plus, they come with Jerry's extended service care, featuring four years of free maintenance. Visit Jerry's Chevrolet on Joppa Road or online at jerryschevrolet.com. This week on Section 336, we get together to discuss Orioles Fan Fest coming up this Saturday. Hey, I, 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 I have an idea. How about, you know, when you go up to get stuff signed, they, they sign whatever. What if I brought in a little Manny Machado contract, five years, 50 million, something team friendly, uh, and I get Manny Machado to sign that at Fan Fest? Brilliant. <laughs> All right, we, we'll talk about that. This week on Section 336. Full Circle to Iron Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. Full Full Circle Tire and Auto.com. 
Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That mm. means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. That's Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com And welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heist along with Stan the Fan Charles on this Saturday morning. And our next guest is a former shortstop of the Baltimore Orioles and now color commentator from Masson on the Oriole broadcast. Mike Bordick joins us on the phone. And, uh, Bordy, uh, first of all, thanks for being with us. And secondly, our condolences to you and your family on the passing of your dad. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. Um, yeah, I was at the uh, Babe Ruth uh, bash last night, and uh, there were so many awesome fans that uh, reached out and uh, sent their prayers and wishes uh, to my family. He was a great guy. I love baseball, and he certainly loved following the Orioles as well. So, um uh, how yeah, mu- he'll be missed for sure. How much of an influence was he, Mike, on you and your love and then eventually your skill at baseball? Yeah, he was uh, by far the biggest influence. You know, I mean, he uh, he was my coach up until I got to uh, high school in both football and baseball. And um, he was a great competitor himself. He taught me so much about persevering. I was never the biggest guy and uh, taught me about hard work and uh, how to appreciate it. And, um, yeah, he, he was the guy that laid the foundation for sure. So uh, I owed him so much. Yeah. Well, I know one thing. Uh, I lost my brother back on the uh, 3rd of January, and uh, he was five years older than I was and kind of like my dad without being my dad. Uh, so, so from that standpoint, I certainly sympathize. And I know it doesn't make any difference, Mike, what age you are. And whether you expect it to happen or not expect, you just can never really prepare for it. You, no, you, know, you just can't. That's for sure. I'm sorry to hear about your loss, Craig. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, let me ask you about the this Oriole team as we get set to head down to spring training. Uh, we had Rich Dubroff on earlier. And uh, first of all, the, the Manny Machado move uh, from third base to shortstop and then Tim Beckham playing third. Uh, from what Stan was telling me last night at the banquet, you got you, you're not all that disturbed by that move. No, I, I'm really not, and I, I think um, I think Buck has an uncanny way with timing, and I think this potentially could be uh, the perfect timing for Manny and the Orioles, um, in a sense that you know I think all along Manny has wanted to be a shortstop, play shortstop at the major league level. Um, but out of respect for J.J. Hardy and J.J.'s gold gloves, he didn't push it at all, and he ended up settling in at third base and becoming uh, arguably one of the best third basemen in the game today. So um, athletically, we, we've seen him. Um, he's got all the skills that you know possesses everything you need to play shortstop um, skill-wise. I think the question is uh, whether or not he'll be able to sustain – you know, the focus for 162 games and become, 
the team captain, I guess you'd say, on the field as far as, you know, potentially leading uh, shifts and understanding how the defense is aligned, of course, with the help of Bobby Dickerson. But it could be just that perfect timing for Manny because, you know, he's a free agent. He wants to have a great year. He wants to show everybody that he can do this and be the best player in the game. At least that's the hope. And uh, he could he could have a monster year, hey, defensively Mike, and offensively. Hey, Mike, you, you alluded to it last night, and i got to be honest with you. I did not witness it last year. You said that in pre- preparing to play shortstop for the Dominican Republic, you had seen a focus by Manny that you haven't seen. Oh, yeah. It, it was awesome. Where really did you was. Where I, did you witness that? Was that down in Sarasota, or or you're yeah. talking about once the game started? No, I'm down in Sarasota uh, when he was getting ready for the World Baseball Classic. You know, he certainly didn't want to disappoint, and the rumor was that he would be playing shortstop. And uh, he actually, you know, actually said that he wouldn't mind playing shortstop. I think, and uh, he just had great focus, great intensity to his work. He had a very good spring, and uh, I know he enjoyed himself in the World Baseball Classic, but, you know, just, just to see how he was moving out there. And I remember talking with Bobby Dickerson and, and all the infielders. Uh, watching him work that spring training was a great treat, and uh, I think he proved to himself and, and to the Orioles that, that he can do that. He can lock in and have intense focus, consistent, intense focus, and uh, – at least for that period of time. So hopefully he could do it, you know, through the course of the season. Six months, it's hard to do. One of the, it's the hardest thing to do, yep. I think, in all sports. Well, one of the things that uh, we were saying throughout the morning, and that's the fact that, it, it, you know, I think we all expect Manny to have a bang-up year, no matter whether he plays third or short, uh, because it's his walk year. And you know what kind of a year in focus he's going to probably have. But regardless of who plays where, it's not going to make a difference unless we find some pitching to go along with it. And when you think about it right off the bat, uh, you know, you know, you look at Gosman and Bundy, and then uh, how's Buck put this thing together? <laughs> I have no idea, man. <laughs> I, you know what? This, this, I mean, obviously, that's the biggest question this off season. But you know, the market really hasn't presented itself yet. There's. Uh, you know, I think there's some adjustments going on, um, and I'm not going to say there's collusion, but you saw last year all the big sluggers um, that were just sitting at home waiting to get a job, and uh, you know, it didn't it didn't happen? They didn't get the big contracts that Chris Davis had gotten the year before, and I think you're seeing the same thing this year. There's a big adjustment. There's still a, I think there's over a hundred free agents yeah, out there. Yeah, still over a hundred. Which is which is bizarre, you know. How do you how do you set your team? And I think the Orioles are kind of they're just waiting as well to see where the market goes. So I think they've got their eye, hopefully, on some potential uh, free agents. But I am never, uh, hopefully, not counting out the uh, uh, potential for trades. Uh, you know, I think the Orioles need to do something. Um, I know we talk about you know winning, winning, winning. But the last thing the Orioles want is for them to slip back into uh, boy, the, 
what they went through losing. 14 yeah. years. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Exactly. So you want to keep trying to replenish and restock and keep a successful team out there. Well, what's your take on why some of these guys haven't been signed and why there are so many left out there? I mean, Brody Van Wagen in the agent yesterday was talking very seriously about, you know, there's some kind of collusion going on, and we're talking about collusion that's not politics, right? Now. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, right. when, when, you, when you think about it – there's no obstruction of justice. There's no though. obstruction <laughs> of justice, though. But you know, but whether or not that's true or not, there's are they just waiting to see how the market plays out? I mean, it's it's certainly free agency's taken a turn in the last couple of years, where guys you would think would be getting big time deals and money, all of a sudden at the end aren't getting those kind of deals. I mean, you look at Carnacion, how long it took him for sign with the Indians. Last year. Uh, right. Uh, Jose Batista, he winds up going back to the Blue Jays last year. Now he doesn't have a team. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I, I really think that with the, uh, you know, with, with sabermetrics kind of bursting onto the scene, I really think they're starting to try to value players through sabermetrics and somehow come yep. up with a formula to bring just bring it bring things down a little bit it just seems like it, it seems like it's been a waiting game I, I know last year we talked about those sluggers that didn't get signed or didn't get signed for the money that everybody was expecting and i think you know we're going to see that again this year uh, there are free agents out there right now that are proven world series champion free agents and still sitting there waiting you know and and I just I don't think uh, owners are afraid of um, of the dollars per se. It's just the uh, value of the years. And yeah. I think that's something that gets talked about a lot. You know, it, you, you dump so much money into a player in the last three years of the contract, they can't really move. You know, the way they did. Yeah, that's what's so, happening in the case of like a Jacoby Ellsbury. You know, and uh, several yep. of the players around Major League Baseball. Mike, I want to sure. I want to slip back to. Uh, the, the Tim Beckham discussion. I know you're not a, an infield instructor during the season. Uh, I know you help out the club during the, the spring training. Um, but Tim Beckham came over. You saw how he played. I'm sure you engaged him in conversations here and there. I know Bobby Dickerson is really the infield instructor. Is he a coachable kid? And last night at Babes Bash, you alluded not so much to the actual number of errors but the internal clock he had at shortstop and how that might be better affected over at third base. Yeah. Well, um, Tim Beckham was awesome when he came over to the Orioles. And I'm not just talking about the numbers. He has a great attitude. I was um, something that stood out for me is, and I know when a player goes to another team, they really try to lift their game and show fans that, uh, you know, they have a lot of game left. But, mm-hmm. you know, the Orioles were kind of uh, fading there at the end. And I just remember him making some plays late in games, say maybe an extra inning game or, or a game where the Orioles may have been getting blown out. And him, he still played like it was the first inning, diving deep in the hole, trying to make plays. So as a competitor, he's exactly what you want. He wants to be out there. He wants to contribute. Um, but but there are plays that sometimes really need to be made. And the goal of, I think, uh, Bobby Dickerson and Buck Walter and the Orioles is try to be, as, obviously, as clean as possible. When you don't have 
a rotation that uh, you know has number ones and twos uh, loaded throughout it. You better have a sound, solid defense, mm-hmm. and everybody better be you know on the same page in that regard. And I think you know Bobby um, and Buck have made some adjustments, and you know Colin Manny for a potential shortstop this season. I think that's a, a big move, like we just talked about. And I think Beckham just wants to continue to be a real good pro. And I think that he will come into spring training and work as hard as anybody to uh, be the best third baseman he can be because he wants to be out there every day. That That's his thing. He, he just wants to be on the field and contribute. I think he's good in the clubhouse. He, he seems like he made some good friends uh, with the team. And I don't think anybody had a problem. And, uh, Boy, he keeps hitting the ball the way he did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to have a problem. Let's move to another player that, that moved, changed positions last year. How impressed were you defensively and offensively with uh, the Orioles' best rookie player last year, Trey Mancini? Uh, yeah, he, he was awesome. He, he's so good, you know. He, he's the guy. He's the blue-collar guy. And isn't he just works. a tremendous kid, Mike? Oh my gosh! Absolutely. I mean, he, he's uh, he's the one you want to bring home. Hey, this is a major league baseball player I've met. Yeah, yeah. He's perfect. You know, yeah. he's, he's a tall guy. He's got a good build. Um, you know, kind of. Uh, I'm not going to say overachiever at all because the guy works and works and works. I think for the longest time, he was probably underevaluated, and you know, he got an opportunity and he made the most of it. And he he forced – this is the most important thing. He really forced the hand of the yep. Orioles to put him in the big leagues, you know. I mean, there was really nothing else they could do. That's how good he was. He was their best player last spring. And, uh, you know, he, he did some really good things for the Orioles last year. And there's not a question that he is not going to work to try to be as good as he can be every day. Terry Crowley told me about him about three years ago. He absolutely, and Terry still works, does some roving instruction down at Bowie and Frederick and Delmarva a little bit, and raved about this kid three years ago. What do you like so much about his, 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 um, his offensive part of his game? Yeah, well, there, there are a lot of things to really like about it. Um, and the fact that he worked with Terry Crowley, I think, uh, has something to do with the fact that he's had success. The crow is certainly, uh, you know, the king when it comes to teaching the swing, that's for sure. And, you know, he made some adjustments, I think, early on with Trey Mancini and Mancini locked in and just never looked back. You know, he's a guy that, that figured some things out. He dominated, it seemed, every level he played in through the minor leagues. And that's uh, all you hope for, um, for prospects and, and players that you draft, you know, to, to come in and say, hey, I want to be in the big leagues and take over. And he did that and forced the hand. And But offensively, I've, I've never seen anybody with the plate coverage that Mancini has. I mean, he aside from Vladimir Guerrero, who just got right. put in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> right. but he hit basically – he, he hit out of the strike zone a lot. He was a free swinger. Trey's got patience. He lets the ball travel, and he's got power to all fields, and he can hit that nasty two-strike fastball or slider on the outside corner that might be just working off the edge. And he can also uncannily get that barrel to the boring fastball down and in that might be just working in off the plate. I mean, 
it's really impressive to see how quickly he can get the bat head to the baseball and let that ball travel uh, just a little bit further, I think, than most, and that's what gives him an advantage. As fans, you know, we'll watch a Chris Davis or a Mark Trumbo or even a Manny Machado get totally overmatched on a on a pitch that's strike two, and you go, oh, they're, they're, there's no way they're going to come back. Do you remember the at-bat? I can't remember if you or Palmer were doing the game against the Pirates last year when Tony Watson had thrown him a pitch that he was to- looked totally baffled by, and he ended up adjusting, and he hit the same pitch out the right field to win a game against the Pirates. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's something we talked about so much all last season. His ability to make uh, in-game adjustments and in-at-bat adjustments. In-at-bat adjustments, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's so impressive. He's got a great head on his shoulders. Um, you know, and and he, he learned through even some hard times. For as good as Trey was, all last year, he had some bumps in the road and had to work himself yep. out of it. And I think it was a great year for him, a great learning year for him. And I expect just nothing but good things out of Trey Mancini. Mike, uh, we're about a week and a half away or removed from the Hall of Fame balloting. And uh, you can't argue with the four guys that got in, including Vlad Guerrero. And I, I told Stan a couple of weeks ago on this show that one of the things I saw Vlad do as an Oriole was get a base hit to center field off a ball that bounced before it got to the plate. <laughs> he hit it really? off. He hit it off the ground and hit it into center field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that goes oh, he, that goes a little beyond plate coverage for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you got to hit the hit the uh, bat boy if you want to uh, walk Vladimir Guerrero. That's for sure. And the other thing was uh, Mike Messina. Yeah, I was just going to uh, ask him uh, again. You played behind Moose, especially, and your, you faced him too, right? And you faced him too. His first year in ni- your first year with the Orioles uh, in '97. I mean, he goes into the postseason that year. He beats Randy Johnson twice. Uh, he winds up striking out 25 Cleveland Indians in the in the two games in the playoffs in the ALCS. Uh, trending certainly in the right direction with 63.5% of the vote. I'm kind of expecting him maybe next year is his year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I know he was on the fence kind of going in, but, man, oh, man, he, he's got to be the most underrated uh, star pitcher of all time. I mean, he was I don't just get, I don't get it, Mike. Pitch. I don't get why he's this underrated. I, I don't either, other than the fact that it – it took him a little while to win 20 games, yep. you know, and uh, but just his consistency at a high level for a high period of time or a long period of time was was amazing. And that's the stuff that that players strive for. And you could just write him down as one of the top five pitchers in the American League in the toughest stinking division in baseball in that era and a steroid load, yeah, put, you know, put, era as well. And and he was just dominant, eating up innings, low-earned run averages, uh, had all the pitches. It was such a thrill to watch him pitch because he was the true definition of a pitcher. You know, he could, he yeah, could set hitters up throughout a lineup. You know, he wasn't afraid to take the ball to the end. And uh, it was a treat, obviously, playing behind him. And, and to me, the biggest – Part which I enjoyed watching him throughout his career was the fact that if he didn't have it on a certain day, he'd make it up as he went along. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, watching him win games with uh, 
a fastball and a changeup, I think was 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 pretty impressive. Yeah, he'd come out. I didn't have my knuckle curve today, so I had to file that early, and he just kept him off balance with his fastball change. He could he could hit any spot he wanted with his fastball. He had he had good velocity and he had incredible command with that pitch. Is this you know, like I said, he he's a true pitcher, could move it around a little bit. And uh, the mark of a great one is when they don't have their good stuff and find ways to get it done. Mike, I got two real quick ones for you. The uh, New York uh, Yankees uh, picked a, sort of an offbeat choice this year to be their manager in Aaron Boone. And if I think about the Baltimore Orioles and who could be an Aaron Boone-like candidate if the managerial seat ever opens up, I think of you and I probably think a little bit of B.J. Surhoff. Would you have any desire to manage the Baltimore Orioles if the club ended up turning to you and said, hey, we think you could do a hell of a job? <laughs> you know, right now I have a desire of just, uh, you know, calling Bucks games and hopefully <laughs> hoisting a trophy, watching Buck uh, All right. get Fair one enough. up there because he deserves it. But, uh, hey, I love the game of baseball. I love the Orioles. And DJ would make a great bench coach, I'll tell you that. All right. <laughs> I love that. Hey, last question I have for you. Do you ever sit around and wonder, you know, you were playing for the Oakland A's and you played for some really good A's teams and you played for one of the best managers in Tony La Russa for a while. Do you ever wonder, you know, when you were traded to the Orioles, it was a big, big deal, but that your career and life would end up being in Baltimore. Do you ever sit back and think about that and what it, what might have been different if you just maintained and played with the A's the last seven <laughs> or eight years? Oh my gosh. I don't even want to think about living in California all that time. I'm really <laughs> glad we made the decision uh, to, to come to Baltimore. You know, we were fortunate. It doesn't happen too often that players get, you know, a chance to get a, a, a contract for uh, more than, you know, a year. And I was able to, my first one here in Baltimore was three years. And we decided to, uh, you know, make it our home. We we're back on the East Coast. Our kids were just starting school. And uh, it's been, it's been a, a joy ever since. My yeah. kids love it here, my wife and, and I do, and uh, we're happy to be a part of the Baltimore community. And God, Baltimore loves you back, Mike. There's yep. no question about it. And you know the other thing you're talking about, B.J. Surhoff being a, maybe a bench coach for you? Yeah. If that ever uh-huh. came, I said, B.J. would still find a way to blame himself if anything ever went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, Mike, th- <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. So when do you go down to Sarasota? Uh, I think I'm going to be heading down with the position players. All right. uh, Right around the 18th or so. All right. Well, have a great time, and uh, we'll see you. uh, I'll see you down uh, late March. All right? All right, guys. Thanks for having me this morning. Thank you very much. Again, and uh, condolences on your dad. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. There you have it, Mike Bordick. We're going to take a final timeout, and we'll come back with a couple final words on today's program. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. For the first time ever, 
It's our Best of Baltimore Sports double issue as we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the last 12 months, including the announcement of our first ever local sports person of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash impact. There's strong, then there's Army Strong, paid for by the United States Army. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Trying to feed a crowd? Order Chick-fil-A catering online from our friend Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. Hot or cold, the scrumptious platters from Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square make throwing your party easy and affordable. Hot Chick-fil-A nuggets, grilled chicken, cool wraps, salad trays, and the chocolate chunk cookie tray. And Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will deliver. Place your order now. Go to Chick-fil-A.com, choose the Nottingham Square store, and get your party started. It's delicious, and your house will smell out of this world. Don't forget the Chick-fil-A surprise. Rise play of the game. Reheatable, bite-sized nuggets are sure to draw a crowd. And it's still cold outside. Slurp up the sizzling chicken tortilla soup or the soul-cheering chicken noodle soup at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Hear the latest in high school sports news with High School Sports Line, powered by County Sports Zone. Each week, Glenn Clark and Wick Eisenberg will bring you the scores from around Maryland, games to watch, and discuss the latest high school sports news on High School Sports Line. What an amazing season for Coach Tim Palmer, who joins us now here on High School Sports Line. My motivation is to build character and build quality young men who want to play this game properly. Listen anytime at mdnewsnetwork.net. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at facebook.com slash pressboxsports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. And want to take a moment uh, before we get off the air here on this Saturday, the 3rd of February, to mention the best in Baltimore sports issue that is out on the newsstands for the next uh, six weeks. We will uh, have our next issue will be March 15th with Trey Mancini on the cover. But John Tillman is on the cover because he was voted our first sports person of the year for breaking the 42-year jinx as uh, 
head coach of the University of Maryland, winning their first national championship in 42 years. But it's got 53 other topics of heretofore little-known Baltimore sports facts and winners of our Best in Baltimore Awards. And if you're watching on Facebook uh, Live, uh, that serves two purposes. One, we go ahead and preview a great edition of press box and, and it also covers you up <laughs> camera right mm. uh, by the way we've started a little back and forth now with bonza bonza uh-huh. is really offended that you want Brittany to cut a new open we're cutting a show. new open this is this is gonna he says that's all that i have left of the show that's right and he says it's just that you miss him so much well, no it's just it's got nothing to do with that he left he decided to diss us right so Decided to diss us. Diss us, right. took a full-time job. That's dissing us. Yeah. Well, you diss us every few weeks when you, get the, ch- when you get the chance to earn the big bucks at Masson. You diss us. So maybe I'll take your name off of the well, open. Well, you go ahead. Yeah. Not that it's on it now to begin uh, well, with. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh-huh. the, the other part of that is I told Bonza, Brittany and I are going to cut the new open and just be done with it all together. Mm-hmm. And you also said the most important thing was is... Was the fact that... Brittany's got a clean driving record. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great story. Bonza got caught speeding on the way in to do this, this show. One of the greatest stories ever yeah. was uh, Bill Latson uh, in, in spring training. We were in Vieira with the Nationals. Right. And at the time, Route 192, which runs from Melbourne over to St. Cloud and then into Kissimmee. Okay. And we're over playing the Astros. And on the way back, Latson gets a ticket on Route 192, which at that time, for a lot of parts, a lot of the highway is right. one lane each way. Right. Now it's both, you know, two okay. lanes each way, front to, front to back. And he says to me, he says, I said, we're, we're eating dinner one night. I said, what's the matter? He goes, nah, I got a ticket on the way home. I said, where'd you get the ticket? He says, 192. I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah. I said, well, how fast were you going? Just 90. <laughs> Speed limit is 55, 55, okay? I said, why were you doing 90 miles an hour? He says, I was pissed off at John Roush. <laughs> what was that ticket worth? Huh? At that time? I have uh, no. 35 I, miles I'm, over the speed limit. I have no idea. Chunk. The only thing I'm glad about is he didn't ask me for money. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, you're in next week, it looks like. Uh, it looks like unless uh, something uh, happens with a 12-noon basketball game right. with Northwestern. But, you look but like I, don't, I don't anticipate that happening. All right, but you look like you're not here with us on the 17th, the 24th, and the 3rd. Right. And then after that, you should be we're, we're good to go. smooth yeah. sailing. All right. Um, that does wrap up our show. Thank you for Brittany Everett, uh, Craig Heist, and myself, Stan the Fan, uh, over and out. I'm heading out to UMBC this afternoon. They open up their new events center today at 4 mm, o'clock okay. on the campus of UMBC. They're a couple months late. I think they thought they would get open in December, but they're opening today, and everybody out there, Steve Levy and all the gang. Pretty they're, excited they're about pretty it. Pretty excited. They really are. Well, it's, you know, I, I remember the old place, and I you know, go yep. there and watch basketball. So, But Steve Levy's worked there, and, and I'm not sure if he graduated from there or not. But he, he says that's the only place he's ever known in like 30 years yeah. out there was the rack. And now they're opening up the new event center. So they tip off at 4 o'clock today against Vermont. 
I'm not sure if it's a sellout. I know the place is going to be a zoo, but there might be a few scattered tickets left. Uh, but uh, get out there and support the Retrievers, their new arena. Towson, of course, five years ago opened up CQ. Been a fabulous arena, and I look forward to this one. And, Should and, be great. And kind of lured the blast out there yep. as well. Yeah. Yep. So. All right. That does wrap us up for the bat round. Enjoy your weekend, and go Eagles. Go <laughs> Eagles.